0: Here's my disclaimer tonight before we get into the Word of God. This message tonight is for River of Life saints and church members. Okay? So what I'm teaching and preaching about tonight, more teaching than preaching, but sometimes in your teaching you can't help but preach. One person said, teaching is telling, preaching is yelling. So I'm going to tell while I yell maybe a little bit. So. But our teaching tonight is for River of Life Saints and church members. Amen? So if you're born again, you're a part of the body of Christ, you're a member of this church's teaching is for you. If you are a guest tonight, we welcome you. We're grateful that you're here. This teaching is not directed at you and may not apply to where you're at in life. Thanks of God, amen? So, I'm going to be very plain in the Bible and what the Bible says, and I think that's the right approach a preacher should take. Make no apology for what the Bible says and the way that we live. I make no apology. That being said, if you're a guest here tonight, this teaching may not fit where you're at, and that's okay. But if you're a saint of God, you've been born again of the water and the Spirit. If you're brand new, God's working transition in your life, and we realize that maturity takes time and growth takes time. Um, But if you're a member of this church, this this is the Word of God to the Corinthian church. All right, 1 Corinthians chapter 11. If you've got a Bible. First Corinthians chapter number 11, and I wanna read 16 verses, I'm gonna read them very quickly because we're gonna spend a lot of time in these 16 verses and we're gonna, that's why I gave you handouts. Um, I just figured there's so many scriptures, I'm giving you a bunch of translations of the, and and original uh, verbiage. And I didn't even do fill in the blanks. I like to typically do fill in the blanks. I didn't do that tonight because it's right there. So if you've got a pen, you can write notes in there. I want you to take this, you can fold it up, put it in your Bible and uh, it's for your own study. And also, I think it's important that we know why we believe what we believe. There's a reason why we live the way that we live, even though the world thinks it's not so crazy. There's a reason why we live the way that we live, and that's what we're going to find in the Word of God. Okay, very, very quickly. First Corinthians chapter 11, and verse. I'll be start reading with verse number one. When I'm done, Mariah's going to come. She's got a song that relates to our teaching here tonight. And It's, I think, the heart of the teaching, and then I'm going to get right into the teaching real quick. Amen? Be ye followers of me, even as I also am of Christ, Paul said. I praise you, brethren, that you remember me in all things and keep the ordinances as I deliver them to you. But I would have you know that the head of every man is Christ, and the head of the woman is the man, and the head of Christ is God every man praying or prophesying having his head covered dishonoreth his head but every woman that prayeth or prophesieth with her head uncovered dishonoreth her head for that is even all as one as if she were shaven for if the woman be not covered let her also be shorn but if it be a shame for a woman to be shorn or shaven let her be covered For a man indeed ought not to cover his head for as much as he is the image and glory of God, but the woman is the glory of the man. For the man is not of the woman, but the woman of the man. Neither was the man created for the woman, but the woman for the man. For this cause ought the woman to have power on her head because of the angels. Nevertheless, neither is the man without the woman, neither the woman without the man in the Lord. For as the woman is of the man, even so is the man also by the woman, but all things of God. Judging yourselves, is it comely that a woman pray unto God uncovered? Doth not even nature itself teach you that if a man have long hair, it is a shame unto him? But if a woman have long hair, it is a glory to her, for her hair is given her for a covering. But if any man seem to be contentious, we have no such custom, neither the churches. All right, let's go to the Word of God. We've got a lot of ground to cover tonight, and I'm going to try to go super-duper, extra-mega-fast. All right? Take my time. Thank God. I, t- I receive that. You know, people got time for an hour-and-a-half movie. They do. Okay, all right. Um, 1 Peter chapter 1, verse number 15. 1 Peter 1 and 15 says, But as he which hath called you is holy. Everybody say, God's holy. The God that we serve is holy. As he which hath called you is holy, he said, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation, because as it is written, be ye holy, for I am holy. So the God that we serve is a holy God, amen? What is God's mission and mandate and desire for all of our lives? That we would be holy like the God that we serve. I would say that holiness is allowing God to grow godliness internally in your life. As a matter of fact, the new birth, you cannot be holy without the new birth experience. That's good preaching right there. Because when you're baptized in Jesus' name, that eradicates the sin of your past. That cleanses you and forgives you so that, and it brings you into right standing with God as a result of the cross of Calvary and the blood of the Lamb. When you're baptized in Jesus' name, your sins are washed away, and then God fills you with the baptism of the Holy Ghost. In case you didn't know, this is a Pentecostal church. We love the Holy Ghost. We love the presence of God. We love the move of God. We love the Spirit of God in our life. I'm so thankful that anointing that you sense, that way that God has of personalizing himself to you, that's the Holy Spirit. The Holy, whose spirit is the Holy Spirit? Whose spirit is the Holy Spirit? The Holy Spirit is the spirit of Christ, right? But when you get the Holy Ghost, you've got to know that the Holy Ghost that you receive into your life is more than a goosebump machine. It's more than a feel good thing, which it is that. And we thank God for that. It's better than a concert. We thank God for that. Listen, but the Holy Spirit of God in your life is an impartation of the nature of God. That's one of the most profound statements you'll ever hear in your life. The Holy Spirit is an impartation of the nature of God. So when you get the Holy Ghost inside of your life, what that Holy Ghost begins to do is impart unto you the nature and the character of God. Absent the Holy Ghost, we cannot live a holy life. The Holy Ghost that comes into us, and that's why the name of this series is called Inside Out, We don't believe in just external conformity that creates holiness internally. That's getting the the cart before the horse. But we do believe that when you get the Spirit of God inside of your life, it's going to begin to engineer and pioneer the character and the nature of God into your life. We used to sing an old song that went something like this, Jesus on the inside, working on the outside, oh what a change in my life. Right? Jesus on the inside, working on the outside. You get it? Jesus on the inside, working on the outside. Oh, what a change in my life. That's what happens when you get Jesus on the inside. He starts changing you. How many know how different that your life is now because that God has come into your life? You look and it's like, man, everything's changing. And I talked about it this morning, it's more than just morality, it's more than just a strong Christian will that, oh, I've got the will to be a better person, I'm trying really hard. It's more about cooperating with the Holy Spirit in your life, which is pioneering in you the character that God wants you to have. Now that, when we come to God, we are in right standing with God. When you're born again of the water and the Spirit, you are a child of God. But as a child of God, you're not a full-grown child of God. You're a babe in Christ. And from that point in time when you're born again until the time that Jesus takes you home, we're all on a progressive journey of maturity and spiritual growth in our lives. Which means that God is going to deal with us. It is a progressive work in our lives. How many God's still working on you? God's still working on me. Aren't you grateful for that? I don't want God to ever stop working on me. I'm still learning stuff. I'm learning stuff 33 years later in my walk with God. God's still working on me. If you would with your notes, please don't look ahead in the notes because I don't want you to get ahead of me. We're going to get there. Don't worry. Give me time. We'll get there. If you'd not look ahead, I would appreciate that. Second Corinthians 6:17. Paul said, Wherefore, come out from among them, and be ye separate, saith the Lord. And touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you. The word of God right here says that God wants us to be separate. He wants us to be a holy people. That's literally what the word church means. ecclesia. the definition. You say, I'm so glad I'm in the church. I'm part of the church. Thank God for the church. By definition, when you say I'm part of the church, you're part of the called out ones. That word literally means the holy ones. Hagios, those that have been called out of the world. I'm so thankful that Jesus called us out of this world. To become what he wants us to become and what that means is when he calls us out of the world we're gonna be different than the world he's gonna in fact that's his command he's like I want you to be different be separate saith the Lord touch not the unclean thing and I will receive you there's a blessing to holiness he said and I will be a father unto you and you shall be my sons and daughters saith the Lord Almighty he said "If, if you'll separate yourself he said the benefit is Paternal relationship. I'm going to be a father to you. You're going to be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord Almighty. Okay? We have chapter divisions in the Bible, but of course, when Paul wrote, he didn't write in chapters and verses. We understand that, right? He wrote a big long letter. So the next, what we would say the next verse of the next chapter is just a continuation of the previous thought. I'll be a father unto you. You shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord. Having therefore these promises, what promises? The paternal relationship with God. He's going to be our father. Having that promise, Dearly beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, comma, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Whoa! Perfecting holiness. What's that mean? Look at your neighbor and say, God's not done with you yet. Perfecting holiness means that He is in the business of growing you. Into the measure the stature of the fullness of christ god's not done with you yet we all should be in pursuit of god growing in godliness and pursuing god to grow second peter chapter 3 and verse 17 ye therefore beloved seeing you know these things beware lest you also being led away with the error of the wicked fall from your own steadfastness you don't want that to happen you paying attention you don't want to be led away from your steadfastness you get a commitment to god i'm in the church now i want to live for god he's like be careful There's going to be a lot of masquerading things that are out there trying to pull you away from your dedication, commitment, and consecration to God. Be careful you don't get led away from your steadfastness, but here's the real answer. If you don't want to be led away, this is what you do. Verse 18 says, but grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be glory both now and forever. Amen. But grow in grace. That means that it's not a static thing, that we continue to grow in our relationship with God. You say pastor man we've had prayer and fasting before how come we're doing it again Monday Tuesday Wednesday because God's not done with us yet and we need to continually reconsecrate ourselves to the Lord and allow ourselves to continue to grow in grace acts 2 and 40 we love acts 2 38 don't we what's acts two thirty-eight? Man's on the front row. That's where he belongs. Amen. We love that. You know what Acts 2.38 does? It's the application of the gospel of Christ that gets us into the kingdom of God. Amen. I'll tell you what's incredible. The apostle Peter that was given the keys of the kingdom of heaven, though, that's not the only thing he preached on the day of Pentecost. As a matter of fact, Duriel just said that if I had my watch in about 20 seconds. You you can preach Acts 2.38 in 20 seconds, but Acts 2 and 40... Peter said, with many other words, oh wait, Acts 2.38 takes about 20 seconds, but it said, with many other words, did he testify and exhort, saying, save yourselves from this untoward, and the translations say, crooked generation. In other words, the preacher said, Acts 2.38 said, repent, be baptized, fill the Holy Ghost, you get into the kingdom, just like that, but he spent a lot more time talking about, you better save yourself from this untoward generation. Because you get baptized in Jesus' name and talk in tongues like a Chinaman, get yourself into the kingdom of God in about five minutes. Five minutes of faith, you can get in the tank, you can get the Holy Ghost and talk in tongues. That can happen in about five minutes, but after that, there's a lifetime of recognizing, I've got to, you know, maybe depart from some things and disconnect from other things. And Peter recognized that, and the twin pillars of apostolic progress is Acts 2.38 and Acts two forty. Acts 2.38 gets you saved. Acts 2 and 40 keeps you saved. That's good preaching. Save yourself from the sun toward generation. All right, that's growth and holiness. Ephesians 2 and 8, For by grace are you saved through faith, not that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. Sound familiar? Not of works, lest any man should boast. Verse 10, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto God good works. Hmm. Not of works, created unto good works. I know some people that got a do-nothing doctrine. They've got a belief that it's not of works. Listen, your works can't save you, but after you get saved and filled with the Holy Ghost, good works will come out of you. Hmm, that's good. That's a production of grace in your life will begin to transform you so that out of your life, in fact, I would argue that if good works aren't coming out of someone's life, there probably has not been a genuine birth experience in their heart. Because when you get born again, he didn't say that to get saved, you got to have good works. He said, but after you get saved, you're going to have good works. Those works are going to grow. You're going to progress in your walk with God. It's not going to end there. So grace empowers us to live God's will. Grace is not permission to do whatever in the world that you want to do now that you're a Christian. Oh, grace, I can do whatever I want. That's not, that's disgrace. That's sloppy agape. All right, you with me? Holiness is an inside job. God fills us with the Holy Ghost. His Holy Spirit begins to work inside of our lives. It begins to perfect our nature, gives us his desires, puts his nature within us. He begins to work inside of our life and all of a sudden we're, we're walking around, we're like, man, I probably shouldn't talk like that. I used to swear like a sailor, but I probably shouldn't do that now. I should probably conduct my life a little bit different. You may have been a thief, a con artist, but all of a sudden you get the Holy Ghost. The Holy Ghost starts saying, no, eh, you probably don't want to do that. The Holy Ghost says, yeah, you probably don't want to go to that bar. Mm, I probably ought to te- treat my ri- wife the right way like this. The Holy Ghost starts working on you on the inside, and then it begins to show itself on the outside. 1st Corinthians chapter 6 and verse number twenty. For you are bought with a price therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit which are God's can you say with me tonight Jesus bought me with his blood I've been bought with a price right what does that mean when you purchase something the ownership of that thing that has been purchased now changes right you go into Walmart, it's sitting on the shelf. It belongs to Sam Walton and his family, and it belongs to Walmart until you pay the price. And once you pay the price, that, that possession that you purchased now no longer belongs to Walmart. It belongs to you, right? So when Jesus purchases us with, our, with his blood, we no longer belong to ourselves. We no longer belong to the world. And thank God that we no longer belong to the devil. We don't belong to the world, ourselves, or the devil anymore. The ownership of our life is transferred. And here's what I'll tell you. The good news is God does a lot better job with my life than I ever did with my life. That's the good news. So literally, according to Corinthians 6 and 20, the ownership of my life has changed. I'm no longer my own. I don't belong to me anymore. I don't belong to Jesus. And thank God, when I belong to Jesus, Jesus takes good care of his stuff. He approves our lives and makes our lives better. So, the point that I'm making with this verse is God's ownership in my life. I need Jesus to be more, more than just my Savior. When Jesus is my Savior, that's what I preached about this morning. He pulls me out of the water and he keeps me and saves me from drowning. But I need Jesus to be more than just my Savior. I need Jesus to be my Lord. How about this scripture where the the spirit of the lord is there is freedom liberty where the spirit now the lord is that spirit and where the spirit of the lord is there is liberty liberty comes when the spirit is lord when god has ownership of our lives and we realize okay lord i'm in the kingdom of god now you're the boss i'm the applesauce you're the king i'm your subject you're the leader I'm the follower. Amen. This means that we now honor God in His word, and our desire is to fulfill the will and the word of God in our lives. All right, let's transition very quickly. Hair. We're going to get into hair tonight. We've got a number of different subjects on Sunday nights that we're going to deal with very quickly. Here we go. hair. So why hair? Hair, hair everywhere. It's a blessing. Hair has always been a symbol. Hair has always been seen of beautiful value. Solomon, chapter 4 and verse number 1. Thy hair is as the flock of goats, says Solomon from Mount Gilead. So husbands, you want to whisper sweet nothings in your wife's ear? Baby doll, your hair is like a flock of goats. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. These were the words spoken by the love-intoxicated Solomon to his new Shulamite bride. She was his dream come true, and he did not fail to speak of her beautiful hair. Solomon 7 and 5, Thine head upon thee is like caramel, and the hair of thine head like purple. He says your hair is like a flock of goats, and he didn't say her hair was purple. Some of y'all, he said it was like purple. What does that mean? Purple was an incredibly rare uh, color and it was an incredibly rich commodity. You couldn't just—I mean, nowadays you can buy you can buy paints and you can buy different colors and garments and all this different stuff it was really easy. Back then, you couldn't just buy the color purple. As a matter of fact, they say that it took 250,000—a quarter of a million mollusks. You know those little sea creatures. It took a quarter of a million mollusks to create one ounce of purple dye. What is he saying? He's saying it's such a rare thing. It's a beautiful thing. He said, baby, your your head is like caramel, and the hair of thine head is like that rare, rare purple. It's so beautiful. Beautiful. So hair, according to Scripture, has always been a symbol of beautiful value. When judgment, notice with me, was to come, God spoke of taking away the beautiful hair. When judgment came upon the nation, he used it metaphorically and symbolically as a form of judgment. Isaiah 3 and 17 so the Lord will send scabs on her head. He talks about his people. Ooh. The Lord will make beautiful Zion bald. It's not a good thing. Isaiah 3 and 24, and it shall come to pass that instead of sweet smell there shall be stink, and instead of a girdle a rent, and instead of well set hair, he said, baldness it was a sign of his judgment upon Israel. Jeremiah seven twenty nine. God says, cut off thine hair, O Jerusalem, and cast it away, and take up a lamentation on high places, for the Lord hath rejected and forsaken the generation of his wrath. So symbolically and metaphorically, hair has a much intrinsic value. So Pentecostal hair, do you care? The history of hair, I'm going to go very quickly. Josh McDowell says, and I quote, history shows that when a generation fails to know why they believe what they believe their convictions are in danger of being undermined one of the greatest crises in america that we are facing is a lack of education now education now of course we've got higher learning we've got higher education like we've never known before but we're talking about genuine biblical truth-based education and what McDowell is saying is when a generation fails to know why they believe what they believe, their convictions are in danger of being undermined. That's why it's important, children of God, people of God, that we get our noses into the Bible and into the Word of God. What does the Bible say? Well, pastor, I don't, think, I don't, think, I don't care what you think. God doesn't care what you What does the Bible say? Well, pastor, culture thinks that's whacked. Well, I don't care what culture thinks. It doesn't matter what culture says or culture thinks. What does God have to say? What does the Word of God have to say? We've seen so much transition that has taken place, not just in our culture, and I'm not here to just scream against the darkness, but what I'm saying is this, that has infiltrated the church. The problem has never been that the church was in Corinth. The problem was that Corinth got into the church. It's never a problem that the church is in the world as long as the world doesn't get into the church. Amen. Hallelujah. 100 years ago to insist, I I quote uh, Dr. Seagraves, 100 years ago to insist that a woman's hair was her glory would not have been thought strange to anywhere in Christendom regardless of a person's denominational affiliation, or lack of it. Would have never even been considered strange in any kind of a way. Again, I quote, "In in a still religious America, she, women, heeded the New Testament dictum that, and I quote, if a woman have long hair, it is a glory to her, she never cut it. But in this period of primness, she also never let it fall unfettered to her waist. Instead, she piled it on her head in the 1870s, arranged it in ringlets in the 1880s, and arrayed it to frame her face in the 1890s. Queen Victoria, who was a strong, pious woman who influenced both Britain and America for nobility and godliness, after her death in 1901 and the emergence of a new century, America began tilting and shifting away from Godliness. There was a, a decline of moral values that brought massive shifts. The automobile, labor strikes, and lockouts. So when you start looking at, let's say, American history, our moral compass has been lost over the years. You say, why even make it? I'm going to get into the Bible real deeply here, but why, you say, why are you even talking about this? Because if we don't have a historical context and perspective, and there are some, dare I say, that are older in this congregation that do remember the day when our culture was very different than what it is now. There are many things that are considered, you know, ultra-conservative that way back 50 years ago was not conservative, it was the way that it was. You say, why is it like that? Because in that day, people were more Bible-based, our nation was more Bible-based, they've taken prayer out of the schools, they've taken the Word of God out of the schools, they've tried to take religion, they've taken biblical belief out of the public forum, and wow, that's really helped our nation, hasn't it? Hasn't that brought us more godliness? And no, it's done none of that. So what what I'm saying here is historically, it's important for us to recognize the shifts that have taken place. The 1920s became what's referred to as the decade of decadence. Morals were undergoing a revolution. Sigmund Freud's sex theories were invading the home with ungodly psychology. We have the introduction to public dancing, gambling, drinking, smoking, movies, bobbed hair, and you see all these incredible changes that historically began to take place. And then you move forward into the 40s and the 50s and the 60s. The sexual revolution of the 60s. You have this, the rebellion of the 70s. You have the 80s. And all of a sudden, I, all I'm trying to say here is that I want you to know that society was not always the way that it is now. As a matter of fact, it, many things that are accepted by society now would have been considered incredibly appalling just 40 or 50 years ago. And, I, and again, I'm not here to scream against the darkness. The Bible was written in a very hostile context. We're not afraid of that. Never will be. And, and the Corinthian church that we're going to talk about a little bit, what they were being confronted with, all I'm saying is there's a radical difference than what is in the world and what is in the church. We are now dealing with, just as of recent, it's going to happen in Minneapolis, Minnesota. The United Methodist Church the second largest denomination, they say, in North America is having a major general conference, and you know what is up for dispute and discussion, what they're, they're fighting about and they're saying that they're going to create a new denomination because it's going to split the United Methodist Church right down the middle. You know the issue that the church is going to split about, human sexuality, LGBT and homosexuality, and the allowance of bishops and pastors to be practicing homosexuals. The second largest Christian denomination in North America is arguing that it's okay for a preacher to be a homosexual. I was going to tell you right now, it shouldn't surprise you. But we absolutely do not believe that because the Word of God, it is abhorrent in the Word of God. What's the point that you're making? I'm saying it's one thing for the church to be in the world. It's another thing for the world to get in the church. So when we start talking about these things, it's, it's mightily, mightily important. As a matter of fact, I'll say that the darker the night, the brighter the light. So the more that you live by biblical values, the more different you and I are going to be to the world that we live in. You know what that means? That means we're going to have to get used to it. It's okay. People are going to be like, how come you live like that? How come you live that kind of a life? in simplicity you can say because I love Jesus and we're gonna be very very different from the world that we live in the history of Corinth Roman citizens made the Corinthians the butt of dirty jokes playwrights consistently portrayed them as drunken brawlers we're talking about the city of Corinth it would be the last place anyone would want to start a church however to everyone's surprise after 18 months when you read the book of Acts 18 months of Paul's dedicated missionary work, there was a church that was founded in one of the most egregious, unholy, terrible cities in the world during that present time. Corinth had a population of nearly 700,000 people during Paul's day. They say 400,000 of them were slaves. More than 12 temples were dedicated to their pagan gods. The most visited temple was the Acro-Corinthus, which was dedicated to the god Aphrodite, who was the patroness of prostitutes. The worship of this love goddess fostered prostitution in the name of religion. The city's two harbors brought sailors from all around the world to indulge in this promiscuity. At one time, they say, there were over 1,000 so-called sacred prostitutes who served the temple. They say one of the reasons that Corinth was such a rich city, man, I feel the Holy Ghost help now, was that the thousands of strangers came there to visit the girls. Corinth was a center for open, unbridled immorality. You say, what in the world? How in the world can you have a church that that, that in the middle of a city that's given to prostitution, that one of its main form of income is prostitution? What a dirty city. What a horrible, sin-filled city. But I read somewhere in the Word of God where the man of God said, where sin abounds, grace does much more abound we've got a god that isn't afraid of culture in fact he said i'll plant me a church right in the middle if you will of hell God said, "I'll put a church in one of the most sin-filled cities in the world, and out of that nasty old city, I'm gonna I'm gonna reach people with the gospel of Christ. Sins are gonna be forgiven. People are gonna be Holy Ghost filled. In the middle of a sin-filled city, there's gonna be holy saints that are gonna be walking up and down Corinthian streets, testifying of the goodness and the power of a God that can bring them out of the world and bring them into the church and make them into something." that they've never ever been before through the power of God and through the power of the Holy Ghost. What I want you to recognize is Corinth was a very sin-filled city. But Jesus saved these people and made them into new creations. And as that scripture in Ephesians says, we are his workmanship. Jesus changes us. That's what we see happening in the city of Corinth. Paul had his work cut out for him. Because when people come out of the world, they may be Holy Ghost filled, they may be saved. But you know what? When we come to God, we still have some very wrong concepts sometimes in our brain. Are we saved? Yes. But do we have things? It's almost like we need a checkup from the neck up sometimes. Amen? It's like if we could, it's kind of like if God could just cut a hole in top of our head and just spray us down, which he kind of does. It's called the washing of water by the word of God. And Paul comes in there and he's teaching and preaching because it's one thing to get people into the kingdom. It's another thing to help them to stay in the kingdom. And it's another thing to teach them about kingdom living and kingdom principles. So throughout history up to Paul's time and beyond, it was a fact of life that most women kept their hair long and untouched by scissors. In Greek culture, there was also a wave of homosexuality and effeminate actions and men were growing their hair long. Paul is teaching the church that you're going to be different than the world. Jesus says, change your life. Now that you've come out of the world, you're going to be different than the world. Amen? That's the preface to 1 Corinthians chapter number 11. If you've got a Bible, go there with me. We're going to walk verse by verse through this chapter. What does God have to say to us out of Corinthians 11? Some significant facts that I want to bring to you out of Corinthians 11. Number one, Corinthians 11 is following, and there's very, very important teaching. It is preceding the teaching on communion. Would you say that communion is an important subject? Why is it an important subject? It is interesting, Corinthians 11, you have two things, and I'm going to address this at the end, symbol, substance, power. It's an important connection. Symbol, substance, power. Now, when you take communion and you drink that fruit of the vine, that is not the literal blood of Jesus Christ. In case you didn't know that's called transubstantiation and we don't believe that because the Word of God does not teach that it is a symbol though and that's why when you take the cracker which 21st century has really helped us out because we got these these cool little contraptions where you got the little juice in there in the cracker that's on the top we take communion right well that cracker what is that it's representative it's metaphorical right it's a metaphor for what the body of Christ so when you put that cracker in your mouth you're not eating the literal body of Jesus that's false teaching that's why some called the early Christians cannibals. We're not cannibals. That's not the literal body of Jesus. That is a symbol of the body, though. In fact, he said, for this cause, there are many, many that are sick and weak among you because you're not getting it. You're not getting there's a symbol here. It's a serious thing when you take communion. You shouldn't just take communion and just, you know, let's just have a little sip of this and it's great. No, it is metaphorical of something it's interesting that that fruit of the vine is representative of what the blood of jesus christ in the same chapter we have beginning the chapter something that is also a metaphor something that is also a symbol and uniquely it is right situated in the bible right next to the subject of communion i would say that contextually it makes it even that much more valid and that much more powerful say amen the next point that I want to bring out about Corinthians 11 is it is, it is the, entire, the beginning part of the chapter, the first 16 verses, the chapter is dealing with headship. We'll get into that a little bit. More importantly, he is dealing with the order of God's creation, headship. He says Christ was subject to God. As a human, he was subject to divinity. He said man is valuable, but positionally he is subject to Christ. Woman is valuable, but positionally she is subject to man which what does that mean her father or her husband women are not subject to every man that's good news now the point that i want to make is submission to authority does not make you inferior it does not make you less valuable it just it's a it's positional and knowing where you fit positionally in the things of god then puts you in a place where god can invest in your life when you're submitted God says, then I can give you authority. So it's figuring out. So submission to authority does not make you any less. The other point I want to make is submission to authority is is not to set you up for abuse. Ever. In any way. Submission is not to set you up for an abusive scenario. The other point that I want to make out of Corinthians 11 is there are, these are the words that are shared in Corinthians 11. Hair, covering, power, angels, shame, glory. What are you saying? These are powerful, powerful words. Okay, so let's go into Corinthians 11. So Corinthians 11 is about headship, submission, and power or authority. It's interesting to me, in your notes I've got a ton of translations here that I'll share with you. It is interesting, and and as I was studying this week, I'd never made the connection here. I think it's pretty powerful. That this chapter begins with Paul celebrating that the people of God were following his pastoral example. I never realized that. Notice what it says. Verse number one Paul said, Be ye followers of me, even as I also am of Christ. Paul said, Follow me, because I'm following Jesus. New Living Translation says, And you should imitate me just as I imitate Christ. Another translation says, Pattern yourselves after me, follow my example as I imitate and follow Christ the Messiah. Philippians 2 and 12, he said, Wherefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence. Paul was not afraid to say, listen, God has put me in your life to be your spiritual leader. I'm asking you to follow me. Am I in the word of God? He tells Timothy, he says, you have fully known my manner of life, my doctrine. I've heard people make, and the reason why I'm pointing this out is this is the Bible, first of all. And I've heard this statement made. I've heard people say, we don't follow a man, we follow God. (laughs) And I get what people are saying because it sounds very very noble and it even sounds spiritual Unfortunately, it's false doctrine You're really quiet tonight That's not what Paul said Now you never follow anybody that's not following Jesus And you never follow anybody that's not in obedience to the word of God but God also never said that when you, when you come to Jesus, that it's all about you just having a singular parallel relationship with God alone. That you can, you know, the, 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 the outdoors is my cathedral and all I need is just me and Jesus. You don't need just me and Jesus because Galatians 3.27 says, as many of you as have been baptized into Christ have put, in, put on Christ. You were baptized into the body of Christ. And one of the greatest benefits that any of us have as we swivel our head around on a Sunday is say, thank God that I was baptized into the body of Christ, that I'm a part of a church, because we are stronger when we are connected into the body of Christ. It'd be like if I was to take a knife out tonight, which I won't do, but if I were to take a knife out and to just, you know, put your, your big finger on this pulpit here and just chop your finger off. how you? T- <laughs> well, I was right. How do you think that finger's going to do? It's not going to do very good. Why? Because the finger's got to be connected and attached to the body. God's called us to be a part of the body of Christ. And it will bring health and strength to us. So he begins this chapter by asserting the importance of having a God-called pastor or leader in your life that you trust. That's good preaching. A lot is riding on that. Somebody who follows Jesus himself, that lives the word of God and follows the spirit of God. That's what Corinthians 11 begins with. So, are you a follower of Christ and Christ's human spiritual leadership in your life? And you ought to be able to know that person by name. Kind of quiet. Okay, verse 2. Watch what he says. This is Paul. Now I praise you, brethren, that you remember me in all things and keep the ordinances as I delivered them to you. LT, I think you've got this in your notes. I am so glad that you always keep me in your thoughts and that you are following the teachings I passed on to you. New Living Translation. Amplify, I appreciate and commend you because you always remember me in everything and keep firm possession of the traditions, the substance of my instructions, just as I have verbally passed them on to you. God expects every saint of God to follow their spiritual leader's example as well as their teaching. I'm going to read it again. God expects every saint of God to follow their spiritual leader's example as well as teaching. Now, as a child of God, you can have greater convictions than your spiritual leadership. You've got to think with me here tonight. We're digging deeply into the Word. We're not shouting, we're thinking. You can have greater conviction than your spiritual leadership. And in a church, there's going to be that. God may bring conviction in your life about certain things. That may not be a universal conviction for the whole church. But what is taught from this pulpit, God expects you to follow. Amen. Why? It's for your protection. That's why I say this. It's so important that you have confidence in your spiritual leadership. I would say this. If you don't have confidence in your spiritual leadership, the best thing that you could do is find another truth-preaching church where you can say, man, I've got confidence in that man of God, and I'm I'm going to be willing to follow him as he follows Christ. And I need a shepherd in my life. I need a pastor in my life. I need somebody that at some point in time, if I'm ever in trouble, that can speak into my life, and I give him or her access into my life to speak into my life to help me. We all need to have that. Notice he says there are verbal instructions. He said my teaching as well as my example. He is setting the stage, interestingly, verse number three, for the discussion of headship, leadership, protection, authority. So my question I have for you tonight is do you want protection and power and authority in your life? Do you want to have spiritual authority in your life? This is what Paul lays out for us, what begins to take place. All right, verse number three. Are you with me? But I would have you to know that the head of every man is Christ, The head of the woman is the man, and the head of Christ is God. That word head, I believe this is in your notes, it is kafala. That word means spiritual head or leader. Spiritual head or leader. He says, the head of every man is Christ. Our spiritual leader is Christ. The head of the woman is the man. Ladies, your your spiritual head is your husband or your father. And that's a positive, powerful thing. It says, even the head of Christ, as a human being, the human part of Christ was subject to God, the divine part. Amen? So, he's, he's talking about a schematic of authority and submission to authority that then brings authority into your life. Now, it's speaking of authority. Now, you know, whenever you say that word, people start freaking out on you. Authority. Oh, scary. It's, oh, scary fact there are some people that are like man I want to be the leader because I want to tell everybody what to do <laughs> i tell you that's you know it's like eating with chopsticks it looks real easy until you try it right all right man I tell you what you don't ever unless God calls you to something like that it, but but because authority what does it mean authority more so than like the ability to boss people around because that's not what authority is all about authority implies responsibility. So, dads, husbands, before we start swaggering too much, and I'm the man around here. There's a new sheriff in town. That's not what authority implies. Authority doesn't mean, oh, I get to be the boss. It means I have a greater responsibility to protect I have a responsibility to protect my family. I have a responsibility, the way that I live my life. Yes, am I is, is the husband, is is the father, the authority of the home. Absolutely, he is. But that authority is given with a responsibility. And the responsibility is my greatest responsibility, isn't about walking around my house with a swagger saying, I'm the man of the house. It's the responsibility that says, oh, I want everybody in my home. I want all my babies. I want all my kids to live for God. I don't ever want my children to be hurt. I want my wife to be protected. I want my family to be strong. So being the leader of the home isn't about pride and arrogance that I get to be the great big boss. It's about the responsibility that I have that I want everybody in my home to make it to heaven. And there's got to be this. So he, he here speaks of sp- specific relationships, Christ, God, man, and uh, over woman. We follow Jesus spiritually in our head, our earthly authorities that we are accountable to naturally. Okay, so that's head. That's what he's talking about, kafala. He is talking about spiritual head. He's talking about leadership. He's talking about authority that implies responsibility and relationship. That's the whole context. He said, Pastor, I thought we were talking about hair tonight. We're going to get there. We will get there, surely but slowly. We're going to get there, okay? Hair, but you can't talk about hair until you get to the principle that is behind hair. Oh, man, we're talking about hair. Oh, you ladies don't cut your hair. Oh, you men don't let your hair grow long. Why? Hair, hair, everywhere. What's it about? Some say it's not fair. Some say I don't care. Hair. I'm just here to share. Because I care. Hair. Right? Hair. That's what we're talking about. We're talking about hair. But man, it's not just about this. It is interesting that this is attached to your head. I know we're getting real simple here. What's the subject? Headship. This is attached to your head. This is symbolic of my understanding of headship. My understanding of where I fit into God's divine schematic. When I find out my place and I say, hey, that's cool. I'm going to be in the place that God wants me to be in. I'm not interested in being a rebel. I'm not interested in just doing my own thing. I just want to figure out. Like, like the man, no wonder when when Jesus came across the guy that said, I'm a man under authority, he said, I've never in all my life seen such faith. No, not in all Israel. And he's like freaking out. You know why? Because the guy said, I'm a man under authority. Jesus is like, whoa, that's incredible right there. There's not many people say that. But when you figure out this is where I fit in the divine schematic, then all of a sudden, I'm a, he said, I'm a man under authority. I say to this man, go and he goeth. He said, I'm under authority, but that gives me authority in the situation I'm in. I'm a Roman soldier. I can speak to situations because I myself am subject to the authority that is above me. That's the subject of headship. So, I mean, we're talking about hair and all that. But hair, ah, I'm getting ahead of myself. Hair, though, is the symbol... The physical, visible symbol of the substance of the revelation of submission to authority, i.e., headship. The head, that's what he's saying, the head. The head of every man is Christ. The head of the woman is the man. The head of Christ is God. That's what he's saying. Get it? Talking about submission to authority, headship. Where do I fit? Okay. Verse number four. was going to go quick here. Verse four. Every man, can you say every man? That's everybody. Every man praying or prophesying, having his head covered, dishonoreth his head. Every man. Notice this is without exception. Every man. There are no exceptions. What is this teaching saying? This teaching is saying that this is a universal teaching. It applies to everybody. It doesn't matter what culture says. Some cultures, men grow their hair long. They do. Some cultures, that's a cool thing to do. You're never going to believe this. But before I walked with Jesus, I had long hair. Some of y'all were there too. Interesting, one of the first things that happened when I got the Holy Ghost, nobody preached to me about it. Nobody said, you better go cut that hair. But I tell you what did start preaching to me, Holy Ghost started preaching to me. You ought to get that haircut. I felt just naked, man. I got my hair cut. DJ, I'm thinking of DJ, yeah. Huh? What he's saying is this, is this is without exception, every man. This is a universal teaching. Verse number five, every woman that prayeth or prophesieth with her head uncovered dishonoreth her head. For that is all, even as if she were shaven. Every woman, again, this is without exception. This is the way it's done in the church. This applies to every born again child of God. Notice two vital functions. He said, every woman that prayeth or prophesieth with her head uncovered. That, these are good functions he is saying though that if a woman is covered that she can do these two things she can pray and she can prophesy i'm telling you what we've got some some of the most god bless anointed powerful ladies and women in this church that i thank god for that exercise their god-given right to pray i'm shock some of you maybe but i the bible says that she can also prophesy philip had four daughters that prophesy. What is prophecy? Edification, exhortation, giving of comfort. It is a divine utterance, it is speaking forth God's word under anointing. So, a woman, as long as she is submitted to God, her head is covered according to the Bible. Thank God, He's like, you have so much liberty and freedom and power and anointing. If you're in headship and it's visibly seen upon your head and you are covered, he said, ladies can pray and they can prophesy. If you allow me to say parenthetically, can a woman preach? I think this scripture says she can. As long as she submitted. God can use her to speak his word to benefit the body of Christ. Thank God for that so ever so we're talking about a powerful thing he says everyone that prayeth or prophesy with their head uncovered dishonoreth her head so when he's talking about this this covering what is he what is he talking about we're gonna get into that what is the covering what does covered mean the greek word is katakalupto i'm not smart i just looked it up okay this is powerful though i was reading this this week this is powerful the word katakalupto is not a noun it is a verb Kata is a preposition meaning down or down upon. Kalupto means to cover to hide or conceal. Get it a verb to be down upon it 's not a noun because there are some that will read this, this passage description and say, see it 's talking about a veil. There is no mention in all these verses to anything that 's pertaining to a, a, a veil, a noun word it 's kata kalupto it 's a verb. I do think it 's really interesting that the hair, what happens? It grows down. And it's a living thing. It's growing. It is down upon. It is a verb. It is not a noun. There's no mention anywhere in these verses of a veil. Nowhere is there an external material head covering that it's talking about. The covering is always a verb outside of one singular place in these 16 verses of Scripture, and that is verse number 15. It is the only place where where the covering is a noun, parabelion. This is catacalupto. it's a verb, means something that's flowing down upon. The only place in all these verses where it speaks of a covering as being a noun, parabelion, is verse number 15, which what is it? it? Says a woman's hair is given her for a noun covering. That's powerful. The only noun covering and all this that gives a definition of what the covering is, it says it's something that's cataclypto, something that's flowing down upon. Verse number 15 says that the covering is a woman's hair. A veil doesn't truly flow down in an active way like hair that is growing. The word in verse number 15 for covering is parabelion defines what the covering is. Notice what it says, though. If a woman prays or prophesies uncovered, she dishonors her head. For that is even as if she was shaven or she was bald. Wow, that's, that's pretty wild. Verse number six. For if the woman be not covered, let her also be shorn. We're going to dissect this verse. This is a very unique verse out of these, these 16 verses. If the woman be not covered, let her also be shorn. But if it be a shame for a woman to be shorn or shaven, let her be covered. Are you wrapping your head around that? watch new living that's why i gave you some translations here yes if she refuses to wear a head covering we don't believe that but we'll get into that she should cut off all her hair but since the point that i want to make here verse number six says but if it be a shame i'm going to give you a number of translations it's not if it's since but since it is shameful for a woman to have her hair cut or her head shaved she should wear a covering since it is shameful ESV, but since it is disgraceful for a wife to cut off her hair or shave her head, let her cover her head. Since it is disgraceful, says it's disgraceful. CEV, this is powerful. A woman should wear something on her head. It is a disgrace for a woman woman to shave her head or to cut her hair. Is it any more clear than that? You with me? It is a disgrace. CEV, for a woman to shave her head or to cut her hair. I don't know how it can be any more plain than that. If the woman be not covered, let her also be shorn. Okay, ladies cutting of their hair in all these verses is never an option. It is never an option in all these verses. Now, so what does it mean in verse number six? If the woman be not covered, let her also be shorn. What does that mean? Does that mean there's a second covering a veil? Remember we said that the word veil is never used in all these verses There is no noun form of the covering anywhere in all these verses the only noun form There's one singular one is verse number 15 that says that the covering is the hair That's what the covering is we don't have a secondary head covering because the covering according to scripture is the hair Thank God for that Only one verse uses a noun and that's verse 15 the covering is the hair So what does that mean? Is it it talking about a secondary head covering? There are others that have translated this as saying that the uncovering of the head can mean taking the hair down. This in the Old Testament is in Numbers chapter number 5. It talks about the trial of jealousy and it says, and there are some that believe that that's saying that when her head was uncovered, that the hair was piled up and it was taken down off of her head. I don't believe that's what that means because... There are at least two or three other places in the Old Testament, Leviticus 21 and 10 being one of them, where it says that the priest, it's the same word, para, that his head, if it's uncovered, it's shameful. And obviously a a priest did not have long hair, correct? Because a man doesn't have long hair. So para is also translated as being disheveled. So at the trial of jealousy, I believe what it's saying is that her hair was disheveled, para, it's the same word for the priest, whose head, it was a shameful thing for his head to be uncovered, meaning disheveled, meaning askew, meaning disarranged. So what in the world does verse number six mean? What does it mean when it says, if a woman be not covered, let her also be shorn? This is a translation I've got in your notes there by William Martin, and this is also a footnote in the New International Version. I like his translation of this verse. And I quote, he said, this is the way he translate this verse. If a woman is not covered, notice what he says, has not long hair, then let her remain cropped. Notice what he says here. He takes the tense of the verb. He says, for the time being. That's kerastero. I'm a Greek scholar, can you tell? That's the aorist imperative with a cessative force, referring to a particular situation. So he's saying here, there's a particular situation that we're addressing. If the w- woman is not covered, in other words, she doesn't have long hair, then let her remain cropped for the time being. He's saying there's a particular situation. What does that mean? That means, what, what do you do when a new convert comes into the church who doesn't know any better, right? Right? Interestingly in my family one of the greatest things when the Holy Ghost started moving in my family I came home one day, and I'm looking and here here's my mother Her hair was cut short and my hair was longer than both my sister and my mother's And so what happens was the Holy Ghost start to do God starts talking to me and I'm like man. I got to get a haircut, and they let their hair grow out the Holy Ghost worked in our family so but in their case when they came to God If the woman is not covered which they weren't then let her remain cropped for the time being but watch but since it is a shame for a woman to be cropped or shorn let her be covered i.e let her hair grow again present imperative for non-terminative inchoative action i'll let you interpret what that means let her hair grow again that also means there there are people that maybe didn't have understanding maybe people that have sinned made a mistake The good news is, if you've made a mistake and you're not covered and you haven't done it God's way, you know what you can do? You can say, Jesus, I'm starting over again. I see what the Word of God says. And at this point, the hair has been cropped. But Lord, now I want to be covered according to the Scripture, and I'm going to let it grow again. And at that moment, that physical symbol upon the head, you put yourself into the divine order, and God says there's good news for you. There's good news. You have put yourself in authority, and now, ladies, you can say, I'm going to let my hair grow. This is a commentary paraphrase footnote in the NIV by Martin, and I quote, If a woman has no covering, let her be now, for now with short hair. But since it is a disgrace for a woman to have her hair shorn or shaven, she should grow it again. He's making an explanation. In that case, a woman should grow it again. I believe that is in keeping with the 16 verses of this chapter. Amen. Hallelujah. Verse number seven, for a man indeed ought not to cover his head for as much as he is the image and glory of God, but the woman is the glory of the man. He is the image and glory of God. Again, we're dealing with creative order as seen in the following verses. Now we're going to get into these, these, these next verses that are going to talk about the divine order. Man is the image and glory of God. Woman is what? The glory of the man. Verse number 8, creative order. For the man is not of the woman, but the woman of the man. What's it talking about? It's talking about divine order in the book of Genesis. God creates Adam, his first man, right? He says it's not good for man to dwell alone. And all the guys ought to thank God for God's good judgment. And so he goes to sleep one day and he wakes up the next day and he says, Whoa, man. God gave him a woman. But where did that woman come from? God went in and took a rib, and out of the rib made the woman. So it's saying here that the woman came from the man, right? Isn't that how it happened? That's the creative order. That's why, listen, these principles, the reason why Satan makes such a big deal, and we have so much perversion, we have so many problems in our society, there was a day that people would say of the church, you people are so Elizabethan, you people are so out of touch, and what we're saying is, listen, the word of God doesn't want there to be a blending of the sexes. God wants a man to be a man. He wants a woman to be a woman. That's the way God made it to be. That's a good thing. That's a God thing. That's a powerful thing. And what we're saying is, look at our culture today. And we said, listen, the devil wants to, there to be a blending. What is that? That's an assault on the creative nature of God. This blurring and this blending and this effeminate and this homosexual and this this lesbianism and all this stuff thats that, that we said that years ago people said you are so alarmist you people are so out there listen we are living in a day that you've got to be careful about what pronouns you use because all this gender blending and all this mess what are you saying I'm saying we were right but more importantly the word of God was right because God wants there to be a definitive difference between men and women and he blesses that and it's Satan's way of trying to get at the creative nature of our God by twisting and messing all this stuff up. You say, man, is this a big deal? It's a big enough deal that he took 16 verses to talk about it. It's a big enough deal that he's like, man, Corinthian culture is so corrupt right at the very core. And he's like, and these things matter. The headship matters. Where we fall into God's divine schematic matters. And furthermore, how we exemplify that in our lives. So he, he appeals to creation of verse number seven. He is the image of glory of God, the woman's glory of the man." Verse number eight, "For the man is not of the woman, but the woman is of the man. Man was first made and the woman came from the man." His rib, right? Verse number nine: Neither was the man created for the woman, but the woman for the man. I think all us husbands ought to thank God that God gives us a good wife that is a help to us and a blessing to our lives. Amen Thank God. It is so funny, as I preach this, I sense so much resistance, it's not you. I feel spiritual resistance. Because this kind of stuff, listen, it is so contrary to our culture and our world, every spirit hates what I'm preaching right now. Because that's the problem, what's going on in our culture. Everything is upended, everything's screwed up. Good is being called evil, and evil is being called good. And everything's upside down, round and round, mixed up, screwed up, that that our poor children of this generation are, 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 are being fed the lie of the enemy. There are people say, oh, that's abuse. That's that. No, no. The woman, the Bible says the woman was created for the man. Thank God. God put it in the nature of the woman to be a help to her husband, to assist, to bless, and to strengthen her husband. The Bible uses Genesis 2 and 18. The Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. God said, You know what? I don't want you to be alone. I'm gonna make you an help meet for him. What does that mean? Help meet. Help meet. That is a helper that is suitable for him, a suitable companion, a suitable, a comparable, a corresponding. He said, I'm going to give you a suitable corresponding companion. Thank God that God gives us a partnership with our spouses, that we're a team that works together for the glory of God. And when we understand our role and our place, it is the most beautiful thing to find out that we can be a partnership working together. For the glory of God in the way that God created the roles to be. Verse number 10. For this cause. What cause? Verse number 9. And what he's fixing to say. I thank God. Got a wonderful wife. I thank God. Watch what it says. For this cause ought the woman to have power on her head. Oh, Jesus, help us. Because of the angels. For this cause ought the woman to have power on her head what are you talking about what is paul trying to say power what's that word the word for power in the greek is exousia exousia you know what that is that's delegated authority exousia is delegated authority it says for this cause that when we understand headship and we understand submission to authority and we're in the divine schematic it says for this cause ought a woman to have authority she ought to have exousia delegated authority or power on her head. There's power. Sister Pat, there's power. And I will say this I thank God tonight for every submitted woman that has said, I'm going to live my life God's way because the Bible says there is a power that comes. There is an authority that comes. A woman that is submitted and shows that submission on her head. The Bible says that there is power on her head, but notice this, because of the angels. Angels, what does that mean? Angels, you can say all day long, I love Jesus, I love Jesus, I love Jesus. And you know what? People may think that's cool. They may not, whatever. Angels are not impressed about whether you love God or not. Angels don't care. The only thing that angels want to know Is are you submitted? It's the only thing they want to know. Why? Because Ezekiel 28 talks about the anointed cherub that covered. He used to cover. He used to be a covering. Until he got lifted up with pride. And he got rid of his covering. When he got rid of his covering, Isaiah 14 said, Lucifer, I'm going to kick you out of heaven. You're going to go faster than a lightning ball. Jesus said, I saw him like lightning fall from heaven. And Lucifer fell as a result of getting out of his divine schematic. When he said, I'm going to rise up, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to rise above my leader, God. I'm going to be like, Isaiah 14 said, he's, I'm going to be like God. I'll be like the Most High. God said, no, you're not. I'm going to kick you out of heaven so fast, your head's going to spin. You say, so, so what's that mean? Angels, you can say, I love Jesus. I love Jesus. I love, the only thing that angels recognize, you know what they recognize? They recognize submission to authority, and they recognize authority. That's the only thing that they recognize. That's all that they get. All that it, when you're dealing with the devil, you don't look at a devil and say, I love Jesus. You know what you do? You're dealing with a devil. <laughs> in the name of Jesus, I have authority by the word of God in my life, and the devil goes a running. The devil goes a running because he recognizes authority. 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 That's what he recognizes. Oh, that's powerful stuff. He recognizes authority and he recognizes submission. And you say, devil, get away from me all day long. What does the Bible say? Submit yourself therefore to God, resist the devil, and he shall flee. It doesn't first of all say just resist the devil. You know, you're dealing with you know spiritual opposition, just resist him, resist him, resist him. Because if you're not submitted, you can resist all day long, and he goes, Ha ha, ha, ha you're funny. Well, the first step is submit to God then your resistance has power. I'm submitted to God. God, I've given you my life. I'm submitted to you and now I'm dealing with this mess in my home right now. I don't know what to do about it, but in the name of Jesus, I'm asking you to help me with this, Lord. I'm submitted to you and now I'm resisting whatever this is. And the Bible says that the God of peace shall bruise Satan under your feet shortly. You may be dealing with stuff, but you can say, I'm submitted to God and I'm resisting. And you know what? The time is going to come where the devil's going to say, I'm going to go pick on somebody else that I can get away with this with. Because I'm sick of messing with this guy or this gal. Because they're submitted and they're resisting. I'm telling you, there's power in this thing. That's what he's saying. That's what he's saying in this verse. Oh man, i got to go fast. For this cause, verse number 10, amplify, therefore she should be subject to his authority and should have a covering on her head as a token, a symbol of her submission to authority that she may show reverence as do the angels and not displease them. Verse 10, ESV, that is why a wife ought to have a symbol of authority on her head because of the angels and LT for this cause. And because the angels are watching, a woman should wear a covering on her head to show that she is under authority see Evie and so because of this and also because of the angels a woman ought to wear something on her head as a sign as a sign as a sign of her authority as a sign oh man i wish i had time because i was going to have a big old sign you have a big old sign because it's like, like going to be like a billboard say i have authority i'm submitted and you know what that means men and ladies when men are submitted, they don't let their hair go wrong. They're submitted to their authority. A lady submitted to her husband, her father. The Bible says there is a billboard upon her head. There is a sign on her head. What is the sign? The sign is I am submitted and I have authority. It screams to the spirit world, I am submitted. And not only am I submitted, but I, am, I have authority in my life because I am submitted. Don't mess with me. Ladies, don't mess with my husband, devil. Don't mess with my family, devil. You're not having my family because I got a billboard on my head in the spirit world. I've got a sign upon my head in the spirit world. And the symbol is saying... I'm submitted to God. And the angels are watching. And the angel says, there's a woman. Look, at she's got a symbol on her head. There's a sign that's saying that she is submitted to God. And she's got authority in her life. And she's got power in her life. And the angels are saying, come on, angels. uh, There's somebody right there. They're submitted and they got power in their life. You know what you call that? You, You call that a blessing from God. Oh, hallelujah. Oh, Jesus. Verse number 11. Nevertheless, neither is the man without the woman. This is kind of funny. Neither the woman without the man in the Lord. Even though there is headship and an order of authority is not a matter of value. Everybody said amen. He said neither is the man without the woman, neither the woman without the man. There is headship, there is that, there is authority schematic, but it's not a matter of value. Both man and woman, husband and wife are equally valuable to God. This this teaching is never to demean a gender. It is to lift, empower, and to encourage you and I in whatever role that God has given us to play in this life that we are living. In verse number 12, he kind of flips it around. He I think I don't think he's joking, but I, I see a little chuckle here. He says, For as the woman is of the man, remember we established that? The woman came from the man, right? Adam's rib. But watch, then he flips it around. He says, Even so was the man also by the woman. Get it you ought to thank God for your mama gentlemen God gave you a mama. Yes, the woman came from the man Eve came from Adam But all of us we ought to thank God that we all came from our mama What's he saying they're all valuable? Emphasize the point thank thank you God for my mama and Then he, he flips back to the imagery the metaphor 13. Judging yourselves. Is it, is it comely that a woman pray unto God uncovered? Judging yourselves? Isn't it obvious? Isn't there a gut-level understanding of this? Is it okay for a woman to pray uncovered? Of course not. That's what, that's what he's saying. Verse 14. Again, he appeals to nature in the same way that he did in the Genesis account, going back to the original creative nature. Doesn't even nature itself teach you that if a man have long hair, it is a shame unto him? Now, Paul now goes back to the man he goes back to creation doesn't even creation does he makes an appeal to nature isn't it obvious isn't there a gut level reaction that is another reason that this is so important paul appears that hair appeals that hair communicates a distinction of the sexes men and women are different i think we ought to thank god for that <laughs> and men and women have different roles and here he flips back to the men long hair on a man is a shame NIV says, isn't it obvious that it's disgraceful for a man to have long hair? NIV says, it is a disgrace to him. The MEV says, disgrace. The Amplified says, a man to wear long hair is a dishonor, humiliating and degrading to him. RSV, the Revised Standard, says, for a man to wear long hair is degrading to him. Long hair on a man is a disgrace. That's the Bible, right? But long hair on a woman is her glory. Watch verse number 15. He flips back to the lady. She's going back and forth. But if a woman have long hair, it is a glory to her. For her hair is given her for a covering. The whole chapter is dealing with covering, covered, being covered. Woman prayer prophesies with her head uncovered, dishonors her head. But the flip side of a woman is covered. That honors her head. For this cause ought a woman to have power on her head because of the angels. So, man, what in the world is Paul talking about? He's talking about headship. He's talking about submission. He's talking about authority, right? That's the spiritual component to the discussion. And then the natural component is that he's given a metaphor, a symbol. What's the symbol of submission? He's saying here it's headship. The symbol is the hair on the head. For a man, the symbol is my hair should be cut. It should be cut short. The symbol here, he says, if a woman have long hair, it is a glory to her. For her hair is given her for a covering. This is why my, my, my girls, when they were young, we would give them baths. I would tell them when they were they're, they're little, I'd tell them, this is your glory. Thank God. God's blessed you. This is your glory. This is your covering. It's a beautiful thing. It's a blessed thing. It's a God-anointed thing. It's something that we can thank God for. That we can exemplify the will of God in our life. Men, we cut our hair. Ladies, ladies don't cut their hair. They let it grow long. And the Bible says that it is a glory to her. It is a glory to her. NLT said, "Isn't long hair?" I like these. These, these verses are just beautiful. NLT, isn't long hair a woman's pride and joy? Or it has been given to her as a covering. Amplified, if a woman has long hair, it is her ornament and glory. RSV, if a woman has long hair, it is her pride. Young's Little Translation, this is the reason. It says, A woman, if she have long hair, a glory it is to her because the hair, notice, we're talking about covering, right? The hair, instead of a covering, hath been given to. RSV says, but if a woman has long hair, it is her pride, for her hair is given her for a covering. What a gift. The hair is a covering. It is a symbol of divine authority in your life. It is screaming to the world. It's screaming to God. And it's also letting the devil know that I am submitted to God. I am in God's divine schematic. And God says, guess what? You fall into my natural order of thing. God says, I'm going to give you anointing. I'm going to give you blessing. I'm going to give you authority. And there is authority in this church to those that follow the teaching of Scripture that we ought to thank God for. Verse number 16, and we'll cover this very quickly. It's a unique verse, and I've, I've heard it twisted and contorted in a number of different ways. If a man, any man seem to be contentious, we have no such custom, neither the churches of God. So, I've heard people say this well. See, what he's saying is, you know, after sharing 15 verses and all of this powerful content, he's saying, you know, if, if a church doesn't do that, it's no big deal. <laughs> it doesn't really matter. It actually doesn't make any sense. All of te- Paul's teaching is equally applicable in all geographic locations as well as successive time periods. Paul's teaching in Scripture, listen very closely, is not cultural. It is universal watch Corinthians 417 the same book of the Bible Corinthians 417 it says who shall bring you into remembrance of my ways in Christ Paul said notice what Paul said as I teach everywhere in every church some people say well you know this teaching is cultural it was cultural to the Corinthian church it was just to them but Paul said earlier in the book he said what I teach I teach everywhere in all places to every church so when Paul was in, when he was in Philippi, he was teaching the same thing. When he was in Ephesus, he said, whatever I teach, I teach equally everywhere. So this is not a cultural command. Whatever Paul taught, it was to be in any place in all the world. He said, what I teach, I teach everywhere everywhere. He said, I teach the same thing. It's not only geographic, but it's successive time periods. What I'm saying is the word of God applies to us as 21st century Grand Rapids Christians. Uh, Thank God that we can live the word of God that Paul preached there in the middle of Corinth, a sin-ridden culture, that we can live that same scripture today and the same power that God gave the church then. He's going to give the church now as we follow the teachings of the word of God. He said, it's the same teaching that I teach everywhere and in every church. It's obvious he wouldn't be saying, oh, by the way, just do whatever you want to do. Uh, NLT says, if anyone wants to argue about this, that's why I'm giving you a different translation. I simply say that we have no other custom than this and neither do God's other churches. Any questions? If anyone is disposed to be contentious, we recognize no other practice, nor do the church of God. He's saying, hey, that's the way we do it in church. My, how things have changed. C.E.V., this is how things are done in all of God's churches, and that's why none of you should argue about what I have said. <laughs> and get mad at me. Now, remember the disclaimer from the beginning? If you're a guest here, this isn't for you. You're a member of the body of Christ, though. You're a member of River of, 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 River of Life Church. This is the word of God. But I'd say as, as I close this message out, musicians can come. Our life mission after we've been saved by grace, God brought us out of the world. Our life mission from this point forward. What's Why am I here on this planet? I'm here to honor God. I'm here to bless the Lord. I'm here to live a life exemplary of the God that has saved me.